We are back with another episode of the podcast. Before we get started, please go rate and review the podcast whenever you get a chance. Each and every five-star rating and review helps prop the podcast up in the search engines across all listening platforms. So just to give you an idea of how important and how much we appreciate as podcasters the rating and review system that they have set up. So now now that I've said that and you know what all that means, I'm going to just jump right into this episode and that is with Michael Bingaman. He is the strength and conditioning coach for Team USA Ski and Snowboarding. Um, Just been fascinated with his story ever since I heard it. He started in a little PT studio and he turned down some serious job offers and some serious money to pursue his love in life and what fulfilled and filled his tank full of joy and reward. So, um, and it's led him to where he is. So I'm going to let Michael do all the explaining of his story because he does that so well. And, um, I was a little nervous for this episode. I'm not going to lie. I was a little nervous to, to interview him and get his information. So anyway, Without any further delay, please enjoy Michael Bingaman. All right, it's going. All right, well, thanks for doing this, Michael. Yeah, absolutely. I am stoked. Uh, is it, do you prefer to be called Mike or Michael? So, trick, trick question. Um, I actually go by Bing. Ever since I started in CrossFit in 2010, I got the nickname Bing. And so that's now what I've been called for the last 10 years. <laughs> so Bing works too. Just Bing, just Bing. So, I yep. I'm gonna be completely honest in that I've always heard Bing, Mike Bing, or Michael Bing, and I never knew there was more to your last name than just Bing. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So what is? There's no way you could have known that. What is it? It's Bingham. Is that it? Uh, Bingham, Bingaman. Bingaman, Bingaman. Okay. So Mike, Mike or Michael Bingaman. But Bing is what we'll call yep. you. I can call it, the name of this episode could be Bing. Um, anyway, I was fascinated when I heard like this your story being at College Station CrossFit or Boom Fit, the little PT studio. I still don't, you know, I've, this is the first time we've ever talked, and um, like hearing the story of how somebody goes from a little PT studio in College Station, Texas, to I guess it's uh fitness health nutrition for this team USA ski team, right? Yeah. And that just that whole thing just fascinated me about how how do you like the process, the mindset and like it seemed like you took you had a bunch of opportunities or work super hard because you don't just get nobody just happens into being the the strength and condition coach at, at the, um, I guess for team USA ski team, it's kind of a big deal. So it kind of explains some of the process, I guess, of how you got started just in fitness in general. Yeah. All right. That's sweet. So, um, I'm going to rewind from CrossFit a number of years back to when I was in high school. Uh, I, I guess when I was around 15 years old is when I started lifting about five days a week. And I'm going to preface this whole story. I'm about to say that I figured out that I loved being in the gym and loved working out. Um, but it's important to note that that alone, like enjoying working out, is probably the worst reason to become a strength and conditioning coach. And so I kind of oversee that the internship, the high-performance internship that we run here with the ski team, 
And when I'm, when I'm interviewing people and they're like, oh, I, I want to be a strength coach because I love working out, I'm almost like, next. Like, that person's not going to work. Because it's so much more than that. And this, this field is a people field, and it's about building relationships and getting to know people. And so to me, like, what I enjoy doing um, professionally and kind of the way that I'm wired and, and what I believe in it's like I could work in a number of different fields and I would still be pursuing the same thing. It just so happens that I am in the strength and conditioning or fitness industry. And so I truly believe I could bounce to a different industry and still be fulfilled in what I'm doing. But my story just starts because when I was 15, I fell in love with training or with that process and with the gym. And so that kind of became the outlet for my passion which is like empowering people and building people up and pushing that potential on them. So that's my preface to this um, story. But so I'm 15 years old. I tell everybody, they ask if I play high school sports, and I told them I was mediocre at everything. So I dabbled in a lot of different high school sports, but I wasn't great at anything. And I think that's part of what drew me to the gym, that started understanding that, you know, you're kind of in charge of, of – your own destiny. And that's like what the gym taught me is you can work really hard in there and get better at something. And that empowers you and enables you to be better at your sport. And so in my high school brain self, that's what I started doing is training harder and harder. And then I fell in love more with that process than I did with actual sports. And so that was high school in a nutshell. And then in my um, very ignorant 17 year old brain, I said I was pretty good at school. And so in my 17-year-old brain, I was like, oh, I'm too smart to be a personal trainer. And that's what I said as a 17-year-old, right? And, <laughs> and I didn't know – I didn't even know that there was a such thing as a strength and conditioning coach. And so in my mind, the only way that you worked in the fitness industry um, beyond college or beyond high school was to be a personal trainer. Like that's all that I knew that there was. And so when I was in high school, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm too smart to do that, and so I'm going to be a doctor. So I went to Texas A&M. First two years, I was pre-med and did some shadowing and working at some emergency rooms and worked in some clinics and did some things of that nature. And um, it was actually – I had I had this one buddy in college who gave me grief because I had changed my major a couple of times. And he never changes major. And he's like, oh, like, I'm so much further ahead and blah, blah, blah. But the interesting thing is, A, all of my prereqs for grad school, I completed those when I was when I was pre-med. And I didn't do that on purpose. It just kind of, it was the same track. So that worked out nicely. And then secondarily, my physics lab, I met this guy. He was my lab partner. And he keeps telling me about, um, this CrossFit thing that he's doing. And this guy's in a fraternity, and he's like, oh, we bring all our pledges, and we go do this CrossFit thing, and it's <laughs> awesome. And every single week, you know, this is in 2010, in the fall of 2010, every single week we show up to lab, and he's like, dude, you got to come try this CrossFit thing. And at the time, I was just working out at A&M's rec center, and I was a, I think, I don't even know what my actual job title was, but we were called towel Nazis at the A&M Rec Center. And so I worked in the Rec Center, and I was the guy who cleaned equipment and spotted you whenever you 
at 225 on the bench and you were like, all right, I'm going to go for eight, but you're going to have to swap me at five. And I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, why don't we just do five? Um, but that's kind of like what I started. And I had this thought. I was doing that kind of as a side job just for fun in college. I started that when I was a freshman. And I thought that I was going to get to go in there and kind of be a personal trainer and work with people. Um, but I quickly found out that a public gym is the worst place you can go offer unsolicited advice. Like nobody wants to hear that. Um, I learned that very quickly. And did you, so did you like kind of, trying that right there that, so like you're talking about the rec center gym, right? Mm-hmm. Like that type of gym. Yeah. When you go give unsolicited advice, like how would you do that? So you'd see somebody doing like bad form or something like that. And then you'd go in there and, and, try to give them a tip and they were like who is this guy yeah so it's both that and then it's like you don't know what i'm trying to do and i don't care if my back's surrounded when i'm pulling 400 like i'm gonna do this thing and they, it's it's a kind of defensive a public gym is a very defensive environment and i think i probably didn't come in with the best tactics either i think that i probably had way too big of a head on my shoulders and went in as if i knew everything um, because that's the Dunning-Kruger effect. I was probably near the peak of that initial phase of the Dunning-Kruger graph. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's like when you're early into a field, you think you know everything, and then very quickly, it's like knowing enough to be dangerous. This right? is like... So you know a little... Have you seen that graph before? I haven't seen the graph, and I didn't know there was anything for it, but I have had the same exact, like, I, I don't want to say epiphanies, but I'll look... I constantly review my processing things and um with anything that i've done i see the way i've started like oh i was such an idiot when i like just as i started to get decent at something i would i don't i don't want to say it's overconfident but i was like oh i didn't fully understand like i still didn't fully understand what it was like for instance my son is celiac right and figuring that out i was like this gluten nazi at first like once i started to figure out that it that it helped him i i immersed myself in it and started learning stuff but then i started believing just one side of the argument and went full bore and said some things and promoted some things and that i now go back and go oh well that i wasn't i wasn't fully educated but i thought i was yeah that's it so, I you should go look it up because it's a. There's some really funny renditions of the graph. Um, one that I was just looking at it two days ago with a coworker, but there's this funny um, rendition where you're early, you're you know enough to be dangerous, and you think you know everything, and then all of a sudden something happens, and you realize that you basically know nothing at all, and that that's when the graph drops really low, and I think they called it the the. Um, pit of despair so it's like you get this realization where you're like oh my gosh like i don't know actually anything like what do i even know everything i thought is true is not true and then for the rest of your career you slowly climb back up but you never reach the point of confidence that you had when you were like two years in and so i think i was somewhere in that in that region when i was working at the rec center trying to tell people what to do um but it wasn't very fulfilling. Like I enjoyed that 
industry and I got into I got that job as a freshman which was kind of cool because we had to take we actually it was a pretty good process we had to take a couple of written exams to show that we had knowledge in the matter and blah 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 and demo different exercises before they would even hire us on and it wasn't long though before I realized I'm like not fulfilled in that and my own personal training at the time I was just doing basically a bodybuilding style and so all these things were happening together where I also joined a basketball rec league team at A&M and I'm playing basketball with these guys once a week and I realized I am winded and I was like I am out of shape but I work out all the time like what's the problem how am I working out so much when I'm so gassed uh, when I go play a little bit of basketball with my friends and at the same time, I've got this guy in physics chirping at me like, dude, you got to come try this CrossFit thing. And that's when it's kind of clicking in my head. I'm like, look, all I really do is lift weights. And that's not that useful because I can't even play pickup basketball without getting crushed. And so I'm thinking through that. This guy's talking to me about CrossFit. And I'm like, all right, it's time for me to change my routine. Like, I'm not – what I'm doing is not helpful. And I like I liked CrossFit's pitch if you want to call it that um just the idea that you're going to be pretty good at everything we're going to try to make you stronger fitter and faster and you're going to be great at nothing but you'll be pretty good at a lot of stuff but that kind of spoke to me at the time and that was yeah fall of 2010 and i was like all right that sounds like something i can get into and so that's when i joined college station crossfit um and that's when like Zach Witt was there, Charlie Limo was there, obviously his uh, facility, Darren Inslee was there. Uh, I don't know if Sarah was there yet. I can't remember when she came on board. Sarah might have been there already. Uh, Will Shaw was there. And it's funny because those are like outside of Zach Witt, those are like the OGs of CrossFit stuff in Brian College Station now. Yeah. Um, and so that was that was like October of 2010, and I started doing CrossFit, and I was like, dude, this is awesome. And I loved it, and I enjoyed it. And I, the whole group atmosphere was, I really um, was fueled by that, and I really enjoyed it. And my first few months, I kind of, I definitely consider myself an extrovert, but when you're new to a gym, you don't really know what to do, especially when you're starting CrossFit for the first time. So I kind of kept myself. And over those next few months, it's slowly sort of branching out. And then I realized, I was like, I would kind of love to coach this. And it seems like a great way to blend, you know, me wanting to help people get better with this, with exercise and with training. And it seems like a cool atmosphere and a cool culture. And I was like, I want to be a part of that. And so um, I got to thank Charlie Lima took me on board pretty early uh, gave me an opportunity to, to work with him at his gym. And Darren Inslee basically mentored me when I started. And so I got my level one in April of 2011. And at that time, I was shadowing. I was still working at the A&M Rec Center, but I was shadowing classes with Darren. Darren had built a pretty thorough, I wouldn't really call it an internship, but it was like, you know, you're going to shadow this many classes a week, and then it'll progress to where I shadow a class, and then I coach the next class while Darren's evaluating me, and it was a pretty thorough process. It was really solidly put together. Yeah. And then they offered me a coaching job there. And so I remember going to um, 
his name doesn't matter, but it's funny because I still remember it from 2011. Um, I remember going to the guy who ran the rec center at the time, who was my boss and that at the rec center at A&M. And I was like, look, I am going to leave this and um, go work at this CrossFit gym. And he was like, CrossFit the fad, and that's going to fall apart, and you need real certifications. And he just kept hammering me. And he was just like, this is never going to work. And he was like, you're too bright to go do this, and you should stay here with me, and blah, blah, blah. And he kind of hammered me for switching over to CrossFit. And kind of looking back on that whole journey and where I am today, the uh, cynical, terrible side of me that creeps out sometimes wants to email him and be like, what's up, dude? Just wanted to let you know that <laughs> this is where I'm at now. Um, but he did have good insight, and so I'm not going to fault him for that. But uh, And some of his insight did get me to where I am today. So, you know, definitely can't fault him. But it was funny because he was just like, 10 years and CrossFit's going to be gone. Like, it's just a bad. And I was like, okay, well, I'm still leaving, and I'm going to go coach at this CrossFit gym. And what that did for me, what coaching at College Station CrossFit did for me was expose me to the coaching world. And so I had done some personal training on the side when I was 17, but I didn't have a certification, and it was just a couple buddies, and I had no idea what I was doing. Um, so this was the first time I really had the opportunity to stand in front of a group and coach. And I loved it. I loved bringing that energy to a group and being able to lead and being able to help people get better in that way and empower them and meet people where they're at. And that's what's cool about CrossFit is you've got, you've got sometimes a former elite athlete or you've got a high-level CrossFit athlete standing right next to that 75-year-old grandmother, and you are meeting them where they're at. You're giving this higher-level competitor high-level cues, and then you're working with this um, older individual on a very, very basic thing. And it's pretty rare to be able to work on those skills in the same under the same roof at the same time with the same almost the same movements in the same program yeah yeah right and that's really cool and that probably more than anything helped me develop a coaching eye and helped me learn how to modify things appropriately and how to work with so many different levels because the challenge that you get to if you work at the Olympic level, a lot of times you have athletes who come in, and this is not the case for all of our athletes here, but I have a lot of athletes who come in who are already very good, and so I lose touch with what it's like to coach a, a true beginner. Yeah. And that's something that CrossFit allows you to do, as you're always coaching beginners alongside coaching athletes who've been there for 10 years now. CrossFit's been around for a while. And so that was a really special thing for me and developed me a lot, a lot as a coach. Well, now that, um, that first time that you coached, like when you actually got cut free from Darren or whatever, and you're out in front of, were there a lot of nerves just even coaching that little class? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was six months into CrossFit and there were people at that gym who had been there with Charlie for a number of years already and been there with Darren for a number of years. And so then there was this, like you, you don't have to prove yourself as an athlete, but you have to prove yourself as a, as a good coach. And so I'm like, how do I go about this? And how do I do this in the right way? And, and show people that I, I'm young, but I know what I'm talking about. Cause that was 2011, April of 2011. I was 20 years old. And 
You know, we've got every every age group is there, but I'm pretty much everybody in these classes is older than me. And that was my first exposure to being like, I need to be very careful about how I conduct myself because, you know, as a young coach, like it or not, you are going to be critiqued harder than an older coach because you're walking in the door and they're already like, this kid's young, there's no way he's good. And now you have to climb out of that pit with your own actions, your own coaching. Yeah. Yeah. And, well, I'm, I'm like it. I was actually talking about this almost the same exact thing last night with Kim. Cause I love watching hockey. Like hockey is one of my favorite sports. I love playing it. It's like, it's just awesome to me. I love it. And, the uh, Haskinen on the stars is 19 years old and he's a super, like he's becoming a superstar. Right. But he's playing with what I, I would like to say is like grown men. He's on the ice with these physically, super like big powerful fit grown men that have been playing the sport for a while and have all this experience and yet a 19 year old goes in there and he's skinny and he just like somehow he fits in and earns their respect at the same time yeah you know and like i think the tricky thing oh go ahead no no you're good you're good i didn't mean to cut you off oh i was just gonna say i think the main thing when you're at that age, and I still consider myself a young coach. Um, but the main thing is that you have to know your place. You got to know when to shut up and listen, and you got to know when it's okay to speak up. And you can't come in with the "I know enough to be dangerous," and I'm going to beat you over the head with my profound knowledge and wisdom. That's like, if you get something like that, it's destined to fail. And so trying to encourage people to step back and be like, you got to know, know your role and know your place. And I was just talking to a coach about that two days ago on Friday um, because I think, and everybody who's in strength conditioning here and really everywhere recognizes that their job is very important. And when I'm surrounded, when I'm here in my own world, what I am doing with the athletes is the most important thing to me because I'm like, this is my job and this is what I'm doing, but I have to know that I am just a small piece in a hundred piece puzzle. And it's like, what I want these athletes to do is not the most important thing in the world. And what we are very base level example, especially in elite athletics is that if my athletes squat this summer, it goes up from 350 to 400 pounds but his skiing gets worse, then I did not do my job. And that's a tough reality, and that's not a reality that, that a lot of coaches want to accept. Because my job is to make the athlete better at their sport. And it's not like I'm the one out there racing for them, and so there is some gray area. But if what I'm doing, essentially if what I'm doing is not making them better at their sport, then I am not doing the right thing. So, And so that's where that, that's that perspective and, and with, is recognizing that. with that, uh, something that I'm curious about is like on your side, being a coach of somebody who's a high level athlete and having coached people, you know, non high level athletes when you're like, so when a high level athlete comes in, are they more receptive to what you're saying and give you, uh, obviously they can give you more feedback, but are they more receptive to taking the instruction and you know that you're trying to give them in the process versus somebody who's let's say like that 
mediocre CrossFit athlete or athlete on, you know, the level where you would be at a college station CrossFit, um, what's their level of receptiveness to the coaching? Kind of depends on how old they are and what their experience is. Um, I have a few athletes here who are in their 30s, and so they are older than me, and they have been ski racing as long as I've been alive. And so the reality that I have to admit is, and I, I'm stealing this from someone else, and I can't remember who it is, so if you find this later on, we can quote them, but these athletes got to where they are. I've only been here, this is my fourth season, and some of these guys have been on the team for 12 years. And so they got to where they are without me, and so they they are receptive to information, but they've had so many different coaches and so many different experiences that for me to think that I can walk in and change their life with a cue or with a little bit of coaching, it's kind of silly of me. And I have to be aware of that. And so with, especially with the higher level athletes, so like our A-team athletes, A-team, B-team, the guys who are going to the Olympics and competing at world champs, the relationship is a lot more mutualistic. And it's me coming in and being like, hey, how can I help you? What areas are you lacking in? What do we need to change up in your programming to help you out? Whereas with a younger athlete, you're like, look, this is what you need to do to get better. And they're like, okay, cool. And they are receptive. But that relationship has to change as the athlete progresses um, because the athlete's learning. And you can't treat them like a toddler when they've been in this sport for 20 years. You have to give them that respect. And when you approach it the right way, they're very receptive. But if you come in with ignorance, then you're like, hey, I know you're 33, but let me tell you, your squat pattern's wrong. And, like, you got to fix this. Like, that doesn't go over well. And really doesn't go over well with anyone, regardless of, of the level. But acknowledging who they are and what they've done without you, I think is an important first step into building that uh, relationship. So the deliver, like figuring out the delivery seems like it would be the hardest part of what you do to me on like figuring, figuring out your delivery between like you, you respect this guy that's done it for a long time, obviously. And all you're doing is trying to help, but you, you figure out that delivery for the highest level athletes to the lowest level and figuring out how to, bounce back between the between the two and being adaptable in your situation and feeling it out. Yeah, 100%. And the coolest thing, actually it's not the coolest thing, it's the, the worst thing, but also a good <laughs> challenge. The worst thing with the ski team, I don't want to say that. Let's say one of the biggest challenges we're facing is that the athletes are not fully funded. And so what that means is that my... High-level athletes, unless you are on the A-team, my athletes are actually paying money to be on the C-team. That's the so, Now, that is a kicker that a lot of people probably don't even realize. Yeah, it's nuts. It is nuts. Uh, my lowest-level athletes are paying, I think, almost $30,000 to be on the team per season. So what that means is that I am now a service provider and they are paying for me to help them out. And so when when you have that dynamic and that relationship, like if you go to a restaurant and you pay for a meal, they bring that meal out and it's not what you ordered or it's not what you wanted or not what you expected 
or it's cold and it's supposed to be hot, you feel like you have the right to send that back and get something better. And that's the relationship that we've created here, unfortunately, because these athletes are paying. Yeah. And so it's not like a, it's not a college setting where the athlete might be on scholarship or even if they're not, they're on the team and the head coach is able to say, hey, you're on this team, you're going to show up at weight at 7 a.m., you're going to show up at practice, you're going to do this, you're going to do this, and they have to do it. Here, it's like, if I tell an athlete, I need you here on this day for testing, and he's like, oh, actually, I think I'm just going to hang out at home this summer and kind of do my own training. I have no right and no ground to be able to tell him that he's wrong. And so the relationship and the delivery, what you're talking about, is so important because if I don't build a good relationship with these guys, um, they're not going to want to come here, and they don't have to come here. And so well, I have a lot's the on the line for you and them. Stand on is that relationship. Yeah, and, and it seems like so much is on the line for you and them. So like you're in the same boat they are. You want to be the best at what you're doing because their results out there mean a lot to you as well, right? And so, sure. not, and then you got this kid that's paying to try to live his dream out. Like, it's not something that, it's not like going to school to be a doctor. You know, he's not paying to go to school to be a doctor or whatever he's doing. He's literally trying to do, like, get a gold medal, obviously, you know, or, or do something crazy in the ski world and in his sport. And he's having to pay to pursue this dream so it means so much to him to like not have any hiccups. Yeah. You know, go backwards. So there's a lot of pressure there between the two of you and this dynamic is like it's building inside of me right now listening to the story like man, handling that, what a crazy cool thing to be involved in. Like to keep your attention to like just the whole process it makes you it's got to make the job really interesting and hard and challenging at the same time. Yeah, it is. So that's why, that's why I said it's the worst thing that's going on with the team sometimes, but it's also a really good thing because it forces me to be so much better as an individual and as a coach to build those relationships. Cause that's all, that's all that I have to stand on. I can't just be like, coach said, you've got to be here. So you're going to be here. And whether you like it or not, you're doing it. Like it doesn't work like that. Yeah, you're not an authority so now, figure over them. Yeah, no. So it's making me a lot better because you have to be, you have to be selective in your delivery. You have to be smart in how you educate them and how you approach situations and how you handle situations. But better. So how did you transition from? Let's go back and see how you tra- Like how do you transition from? little PT studio CrossFit thing to Olympic athletes? Yeah, so when I started coaching at College Station CrossFit, it didn't take me very long to realize I absolutely loved coaching. And I was like, this is what I feel like I was born to do. And at the time, going through this gray area phase career-wise, or I guess it was a career-wise school, I thought I wanted to and then I was making this transition. I was like, I don't know if I want to be a doctor. I don't know if that's a perfect fit for me. And so I switched into the business school because I was like, I did it because it was safe, honestly. I was like, you can get a job anywhere with a business degree. And I had a scholarship 
where basically I was getting a pretty good amount of money, and the only stipulation was that I graduated in four years, four calendar years, with a 3.0 GPA or better. And so I had this pressure to graduate four years, and if I didn't, then I had to pay all of this money. And so I, I'm already two years into school, and I'm like, I don't want to be a doctor, so I don't want this biology degree, so I better pick something, and i got to pick something quick than you graduate on time. So that's why I hopped into the business school, um, because it was a safe bet. And I was like, this is something I know I can finish in two years, and I know it can kind of get my foot in the door anywhere. Um, so I had switched into the business school, and then I'm coaching at the same time. Realized I love coaching, but it's too late to switch out of business. And so I was like, I got to ride this thing out. So I finished. I got a bachelor's in finance, which is kind of funny. And it ended up, those skills that I learned in the business school are incredibly, incredibly valuable. And so I'm very thankful that I got kicked down that route, even if I didn't do it intentionally. But all through my junior, senior year um, at A&M, I knew that I wanted to coach, but I knew I had to finish a business degree first. So I'm coaching, and I am – I started coaching some side classes. I would start basically strength-only classes at College Station CrossFit. I started an uh, Olympic lifting class. They were like six-week, two- to three-day-a-week classes. And so I do that on the side on, on top of coaching CrossFit classes. And once I finished – or as I was finishing my undergrad, I'm looking at – uh, graduate degrees and that's kind of to, to even work at a university that's almost a necessity now is you have to have a master's in the field so I'm looking at graduate degrees and um, Texas A&M has a cool program called sport physiology and so I I'm looking up the prereqs for that and I'm like oh look I already have almost all of that done from when I thought I wanted to be a doctor so that works out I had to take a couple other classes uh, but I was able to graduate on time, and I got into this grad program at A&M, and that in itself was something of a miracle because there were, I think, eight of us in that program, and I was the only one that didn't have a kinesiology degree. <laughs> Just all these guys and girls who have a kinesiology degree, a bachelor's, and I'm like, hey, I have a business degree. Um, but I played that as a strength when I applied. I was like, look. I am so confident that I want to be a coach. I will give up a potential six-figure starting job in the, in the finance world, which is what some of my finance classmates were leaving college with, offers to go work in New York and work in all these places for six figures right out of school. I was like, I will pass that up to pay more money for more education because I want to be a coach. And they're like, oh, well, interesting track, but we'll let you in. So they snuck me in, which was great. Um, and a lot of that was some relationship links. I met with the program director before I applied. I met with the strength coach who um, kind of runs the sport physiology program before I applied. And feedback from everybody who was I think I pretty So that is really important to me, and that's probably something I'll touch on more later. But I got into this program at A&M. It was a two-year program, and I worked with A&M's baseball team for a year and a half, so two seasons, which was a part of my graduate curriculum. And at the same time, I was also coaching 
still coaching CrossFit, and I started a weightlifting club at um, CrossFit 979, <clears throat> and I started Texas A&M's weightlifting team. So I started this Whoa. club team. I didn't yeah. know. That's crazy. You started the, the whole, like, so that whole team, that whole system was, you started that? Very cool, wow! So you know what? You know what's great about this that 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 like hearing your story and what I love. Like I absolutely love these stories right here because you had the oppor- the opportunity to make money, like serious money for a kid your age, especially like serious. Like man, I just got my school paid for, and now I can go make this over here. And you chose, no, I love coaching, so I'm going to pay and go towards something that nobody in their right mind would say makes money, right? Correct. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah, no, you know, coaches are very similar to the ski athlete that you just, you, you just like, it's one of those, if you really want to do it, you've got to kind of eat crap for a while, you know, to, as far as pay goes, to do something that you love. And to be successful at it. Um, so you kind of have to, you really have to earn it. Like, you don't just get out of school and get a big paying job and you're kind of like mediocre at that point. This is something like high risk, high reward. Yeah. And yeah. a lot of times in this field, a lot of times, even with a master's degree, you will go take an unpaid internship for up to six months or even a year just to get your foot in the door to hopefully get a job somewhere. But then after that, what's the pay right after that? Like you're talking about an internship where you're doing this stuff for free, but what what's the pay after that's nowhere close to the finance side? No. I'm pretty sure national average for at least for a collegiate side, starting pay is somewhere around forty probably, maybe even less, like thirty five, thirty seven. So what? And this is people who have a master's degree and then just worked for a year for nothing. So what makes and now you want to thirty-seven thousand dollar offer? What makes you want to stick with it then? Like, what in your mind switches a gear that goes? No, I want to stick with this. I don't want to go to that. Like, man, this is the. I almost said the weight room. I kind of mean the weight room metaphorically, but working with athletes and getting to lead athletes and get them better and push them toward that dream and know that I get to play a small role in that. That's like, that is what gets me excited and what makes me come alive. And that's what I'm, oh, I hate the word. The word passion is overused, so I'm going to try to avoid that. But that is what I'm really excited about, and that is just so much fun to me. And I can come into work every day, and I love my coworkers, and I love my athletes, and I love this process that I get to be a part of to help them reach their goal. And that is just so much fun. And so you just get to a point where you're like, money is this thing that pays your bills, but it doesn't obviously doesn't make you happy. And as long as you make enough that you can sustain your life and then do some fun things that you want to do, any more money on top of that doesn't help you. And it's like, I I was only in finance in school, but sitting at a computer and working on the computer for a while and having to wear nice clothes and blah, 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 and then, and then going and wearing 
athletic gear and coaching at a gym, I was like, this is so much more fun, and I don't even care if you make less than half the money. It's like, this is what I'm excited about. And how long do we work? Like, 60 years of your life you're going to work. And so to imagine doing something that you're not excited about for 60 years, that sounds horrifying. That just terrifies me. And so it's, it's a pretty easy switch for me. <laughs> it's kind of, it's, it's crazy to hear, like, you, you hear you say that, like, and people might be looking from that side, yeah, but he's on the ski team, you know, and of course it's easy for him, but we're listening to this journey, explaining to people that, uh, I mean, back then, maybe, was it $10 a class you get paid to coach CrossFit? Um, yeah, and, that's kind of where you start. Okay, so you're, you're looking at this, you're earning this over this whole process of, you're putting all this time in and effort and you're getting very, the only thing you're getting in return is the joy of the job. Yeah. And so, but it's huge. <laughs> yeah, no, at the same time, it's huge, but your mindset like, Oh, it's, it's easy for me, you know, because I never wanted to, I never didn't want to do something that I loved. The other things weren't really an option is the way, you know what I mean? Like it wasn't an option Whereas some people might get on there and go, well, I really love this, but I gotta, I gotta have a mortgage. I've gotta have this. I've gotta support myself, and you know, there's a lot of pressure to go out and do that sort of thing instead of pursuing the thing that just lights the fire underneath them and and the reward of the actual job and the production that you do. That like that's your pay, basically. Yeah, and that's a that is an honest reality, and that's something. I love Gary Vaynerchuk, and that's something he talks about a lot. It's like, A, you should you should drop everything you do and go pursue what you love. But the reality is, if you're married and you have three kids and you're paying off a house, you have to be responsible first. Like, you can't just gamble your entire family and your home because you want to go make these, I don't know, whatever it is. You want to go, like, start this company. You can't do that. That's kind of stupid it's like you gotta you have to be responsible and it that looks different for everybody and so that is another reality that we haven't really mentioned but i am 28 years old and i have been i've moved every single year for the last 10 years like different housing situations don't have a girlfriend had to give my dog to my friends because i move and i travel so much and I like, I'm constantly a renter and I don't have any attachments to anything. And so for me, that's like kind of a price that I'm paying to live this. I almost, I like jokingly tell my friends that I have blinders on and I'm like, I don't want to get into a relationship because it would be very hard, very hard to have the job I have and be in a steady relationship because I travel so much and I don't make enough money to, to, sustain or to you know pay for a family or a home or if I had a kid to go do these outdoor activities and all these things like I can't do that and so I am knowingly choosing to pursue these things over a family because I know that that's going to come at the right time for me yeah but that's see that that outlook right there is is what got you to your like the point in life where you're at in the level and then just hearing you say that, I mean, 
obviously people can say it over and over again and it gets a little bit like well it'll just happen with the right person fits the right person you know but that's it's so true like when you find somebody that there's a person out there that would support your lifestyle i don't know if that makes sense that but understanding that you don't want somebody that doesn't in your life is is again like that's another asset that you have behind you yeah you know? kind of, I've gone on a few first dates, not a lot of second dates in the past few years, but I am pretty clear about what my life looks like. I'm pretty clear, you know, about what I am looking for. And I tell my friends, like, I am incredibly independent and I, I mean, I'm at work right now and, <laughs> and I'm at work, I'm at work because I want to be and I love to be and I'm going to get some stuff done before I uh, travel tomorrow. And when I go on a first date and the person wants to be texting me 24-7, I'm already, I'm like, this isn't going to work. Like, I can't do this <laughs> because when I'm at work, I don't have my phone and I don't, if, you know, if I'm dating someone who expects me to be in constant communication with them, I'm like, this is not the way I operate. And so I am very quick to be like, nope, this isn't working it's not going to make sense because you need this for me and I don't have that kind of time. And so I'm maybe sometimes a little too direct. I'm not rude, but it's like, this isn't going to work for this reason. And then I go, okay. So (laughs) the blessing and a curse, but I need someone who is just as independent as I am and will be okay with me being like, Oh, I'm going to head up to work on a Sunday and get some stuff done and not be like secretly bitter about that. Yeah. Be, you know, and be more like supportive. Like, no, this is this is the thing that makes you you, and this is why I like you. So, go do that. Like, let's make this happen. Yeah. So somebody out there is like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's oh man. Out for. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So, okay. So let's go back. Let's like let's fit it in where you tie the strings between taking the leap from leaving College Station and going to, like, your internship. Did you go through internships to? get to the U.S. ski team? How did you get there? So, um, one of the things that was valuable for me prior to leaving A&M was that I continued working the CrossFit realm, and I started that weightlifting team, and I was working at A&M with the baseball team. And so I straddled a line that most people wouldn't mess with because a lot of times, like you see, NSCA and CrossFit, bashing heads all the time and so I was kind of I have my foot uh, I was straddling the line you know I was working with CrossFit and I was working in a quote-unquote professional setting um, where you had to have these very specific certifications and I was doing both at the exact same time and so it's a good experience for me and exposed me to a lot of great things and I'm able to speak the language so to speak of both groups and I'm able to kind of be a mediator between the two to be like oh look we got great qualities from this group here great qualities from this group let's work together and so that was really helpful for me and so june no not june january of 2015 i was set to graduate with my uh, master's from a&m in april of 2015 so in january i'm kind of on the hunt for a job or for an internship or anything so i'm Combing the job boards, looking for things that are coming up, fully expecting to go get an internship somewhere. And an internship, 
with the U.S. ski team popped up. And I'm like, huh, that is interesting. Some parts of Utah, some the mountains. I love the mountains. It's at the Olympic level. It's working with a high-performance team. It had all these things that I was very interested in. It's very um, exercise physiology dependent. It's pretty lab-heavy, technology-heavy. Um, it's not just a D2 weight room type internship where you're just in there coaching a ton of groups and lifting weights. It's like very sport science-esque. And that's what I saw kind of in the ad. And I was like, that seems more along the route of what I'm interested in and I want to go into. And so I applied for the internship here in January of 2015. And we had 100, 115 applicants that year for our internship. And so that is the number, the number of people that want to get into this field 115 applicants, and it was for six spots. And we had applicants from all over the world. And so I ended up getting into the internship alongside um, a guy from Australia and then um, a guy from, well, all over the country and then all over the world because he had this international um, intern as well. And so I get in, and there's six of us, and we're going through this internship. And my well, I'll touch on that later, so we'll go back to that. But um, I get into this internship, and it's a six-month, quote-unquote, paid. It's more of a stipend, so we are getting $500 a month. And the six of us stayed in one condo together. It was a three-bedroom condo, but there were two beds in every bedroom. So in the summer in Park City, we were able to pay 340 per month per person to put six of us in this three-bedroom so the $500 a month actually paid our rent and then left a little for groceries, but it definitely wasn't a paid, like real paycheck, obviously, like 500 bucks a month. Um, it was actually pretty generous compared to unpaid internships. And so I'm here. That starts in April of 2015. And then in August of 2015, I'm sitting over in the dumbbell area working out, and I hear this full-time um, staff member here at the ski team telling his athletes that he is leaving. And he's breaking the news to them. They're breaking up. Like, he's leaving. He's going to go back to school and get another degree, get an additional degree, and a position's about to open up. And I'm, like, sitting there listening to this, and I'm like, holy cow, I should go for this. Like, this would be nuts. And at the time, I was interviewing at a D2 university. They actually flew me down and offered me a job just as I was hearing about this position that was opening up here. And because probably, well, there are a few reasons, but because I was young and I wasn't dating anyone and I had nothing attached to me, and I was like, there is no other time in my life that I could do a job like this. And so I was like, I am going to turn down this job offer in the strength conditioning field, which is like hard enough to get your foot in the door, I had a job offer and I called the guy, turned the job offer down just to apply for the job that's here. And so that was like incredibly risky to me. And I was just like, this is potentially really stupid because if I don't get this thing, then I just lost a job and I kind of have to start over and scramble. Um, and had to go through, I was an intern here, but I still had to go through the full interview process here with the team. But the card that I played heavily was 
Look, I have been here for five months. I know your testing protocols. I know the systems. I know the processes. I know the staff. Uh, I knew that they liked me, and I loved working with them. And I was like, if you bring somebody else in, there's probably someone else who's more qualified. Um, but you're going to have to spend six months getting them up to speed. And I was like, I'm ready to go right now. I know exactly what this team is. I know their demands. And I just played that strength really hard. And I guarantee there are people who are more qualified than me that um, didn't get this job, maybe because they don't ski, because that was question one. You have to be able to ski in my position because I'm on the hill um, usually about 70 days a year on ice carrying gates and carrying skis. And it's like, if you can't ski, you're not of use to the team. What do you do? So my, what do you do when you're out there with this, like when you're skiing with them? I am semi an assistant coach, and so I will help ski gates, like a bundle of gates. Gates are like seven feet tall and 50 pounds, and you toss this huge bundle on your shoulder, and you're skiing them around to help the coaches set the course. And then I might stand on the hill and shoot some video, or I might do some lactate or heart rate testing during the run. I might go up to the top and run the start. Um, if we don't have anybody running the start, I might ski laps to get clothes and skis around for the guys because they have training skis and race skis. I would do anything. And that's kind of a mindset that you have to have. And my job specifically is I am the grease between the gears. I'll do anything that is anything that helps the team get better. Like I will drive the guys to the grocery store. I'll drive two hours to pick somebody up from the airport. In Germany, like anything that I can do to help the team move forward, I'm going to do it. So there's how, like, that is, hearing it all come together, like, that's the thing that that helps you get this position, is your willingness to work hard enough to get the position in the first place. Yeah, that was a huge thing. And, and I know we don't have a, a ton of time left, but I think something that's important to note is, and I have to say this carefully, and I have to say this in the right way, so I'm going to do my best, but you, when you're coming up in the ranks in this field, you have to know who the key players are, and you have to understand that your relationship with your superiors and with other people in the field is everything. That is everything in this field, because it is who you know in this field that gets your foot in the door and gets you an interview with someone and gets you... Um, even coffee with someone at this other university that you want to meet with. And if people don't think highly of you as a human, as a person, they're not going to connect you with people, and they're not going to recommend you for things. And so the, the downside of this is that it could, it sounds like it could be manipulative, but people know when you're not being authentic with them. And so that's kind of where that filter comes into play. But I knew at Texas A&M, I know that Ray Ellsworth, who's the strength conditioning coach I worked under um, for my master's program, I knew that she had amazing connections and that people looked up to her in the field. And so I made a point to make sure I built a great relationship with her. And it wasn't this manipulative, like, I'm going to make sure you think I'm awesome so that you give me a job. It was like, look, this person is an incredible resource, and I want to learn from this person and build a relationship with them and get to know them so that whenever something opens up, my name will come into their mind and they'll be like, that person would be great for that job. And I know that because I know them. Right. And so that is a huge thing that moves you through this field. And so when, even when I was here as an intern, 
I built relationships with the staff because I knew that that's the only way you can get a job. You can't just sit in the office and read articles and be super smart, but nobody knows who you are as a person. Like, you're not going to get anywhere if that's all you do. Like, people, this is a people business, and people have to know that you care, and they have to know that um, you're a genuine human, and that that is what moves you forward. Like, yeah, you got to work hard, but if you're an a-hole and you work hard, you're still not going to go anywhere. Man, I think you just gave, like, you explained some, like, a pathway that I haven't even, like, put together. I knew about it, but haven't put it together. But you just explained it perfectly for, I think, uh, everybody listening as to that balance and how to get somewhere that you want with something that you like to do. I don't, I don't think you can say it any better than what you just said it. I really don't. <laughs> <laughs> that was that I like that a lot. I'm, I'm, this is my favorite part of the podcast for sure. I'm, I'm glad that we got Beautiful. to end it that way. And I know you've got to be somewhere um, and you've got things going on. You've got athletes to train and business to take care of. So I really appreciate you uh, giving me the time. And definitely, if you want to do it again, I would love to have a round two and get even more information about this stuff with you. I'd love to, man. That'd be awesome. Thanks yeah. so much for your time this morning. Oh, for sure. And maybe we'll make a we'll make it an in person in Park City type of thing. Dude, come on out. I'll <laughs> be here. That'd be awesome. Awesome, man. Well, thanks, Mike. Or Bing, I yeah, should you're say. Welcome. Thanks, Bing. Bing. Yeah. <laughs>